Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Driven Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Matt Browning. It's a beautiful Tuesday morning. If you're listening to this live when it's coming out on the radio waves on demand as well, of course, at iHeart iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Thank you for the stream, for the download, for the uh, for the listening, or for the tuning into your dial in the car. Thank you so much for that. You know, we're now on 16 AM FM stations, so I'm excited to be in your hometown, uh, in your car, or in the office, or wherever you are. So let's jump into things. Uh, we're in the middle of a mini-series, a mini-series. I love mini-series, and we are starting off the year with a teaching mini-series I'm putting a quick halt to interviews twice a week, every week for the next few weeks here. We're only doing a teaching miniseries. Then we're going to jump right back into interviews after that. But for now, the miniseries is called What's Real Happiness? And just a quick recap, you know, that we're on episode four in the first episode. If you haven't listened to any, if you're brand new right now, head back and look for On Demand. There's no paywall. They're all free and accessible to you. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get shows and you can get the previous episodes. We hit... Um, talking about what real happiness is and really the difference between happiness and joy versus purpose and meaning and how important that is. We covered that in the first episode. The next one, I talked about the, the criticalness of goals for happiness. Not so much about how to achieve your goals, but why goals are so important for the human psyche. Last week on Friday, I, I talked about a really interesting, kind of a heavier topic about feeling like you have a chance to win. And that's so, so important. So go back and listen to that. Some fascinating stuff in there. This week is about the power of limits. And uh, without any further ado, let's jump right into the teaching content. You know, the limits are something that as a kid, I always ran away from. I hated limits. I don't know if you did, but I certainly did. You know, if my mom said only 30 more minutes of TV, um, you got to turn off your video game. It's dinner time. There was a limit. In fact, speaking of video games, oh, Look, I was playing Super Mario Brothers 3. I remember vividly as a little kid on the Nintendo Entertainment System watching my older brother, John, who just got Mario 3 on Nintendo, and I didn't have it yet. I wasn't old enough. And I watched him play it, and over and over, I watched that kid play for hours. And when I finally had the chance to play myself, I was so excited, but I got really frustrated because I kept dying. And I would go and, you know, the, the um, Goombas are hitting me and the turtles are, you know, I, I hit the turtle and he, the, his wings disappear. And then, you know, you jump on him at just the right angle. And then all of a sudden he 
he the shell slides, hits a brick, comes back, hits me, kills me. I'm a little Mario. Now I'm dead Mario. Video games were frustrating, but there was a reason why we played them. And the thing I liked most about video games, you know, getting to this topic, was not, of course, dying, but it was winning. When I got to finally beat that level that gave me trouble, when I finally got to beat the boss that I couldn't get to, when I finally, with just enough extra lives and just enough continues, I finally beat the entire game, the feeling of, and I'll say it, real happiness, it was a feeling of meaning, a feeling of purpose, almost like like there's this piece of, I know it's a video game, right? But it, video games are not just video games. They're, Jordan Peterson says this best. He says, video games are a simulation for life. It's really a simulation where you think about it. It's a hero's journey. You know, you're this character in a game. And usually throughout most good video games, you need to fight a series of bad guys until you fight a major foe. But you can't fight the major foe. He's going to kick your butt until you go back. So you fight the dragon, you lose. You go back and you need to find the extra life. You need to find the shield upgrade, the armor upgrade, the better weapon. You need to go. And, and that's really a simulation for life, isn't it? Like when you're, when you're young and you're going after something, you might not be able to get it quite yet. You don't have the maturity for it or the experience or the skill set. but then you go to it. You go, you know what? This is what I want. So you go and sharpen your skills and maybe you learn carpentry and you, and you apprentice somewhere and you study with someone and you sharpen that sword metaphorically and you sharpen and you strengthen that shield. And then when it comes time to start that business or it comes time to do something on your own, you're ready for it. And the reason why that works is the power of limits. Think about a video game that gave you trouble or any game for that matter. You know, we'll talk about other ones, but think about a video game that gave you trouble. The reason it gave you trouble is there were limits. You know, uh, my son Val, I talk about him a lot. He's eight years old and um, I was playing on his Nintendo Switch. I was playing the most recent Mega Man game. Now, I played Mega Man back in the 80s. If you ever played that, you know, shout out to the Mega Man fans out there. But now the newest one is Mega Man 11. And they have these different levels. They have easy, intermediate, advanced, and they have a new level, which is like beginner. That's not even easy. It's easier than that. And I was playing on that for a while because it was like, man, this is a hard game. Basically what it does though, is it it begins to strip away the limits. So rather than having uh, finite bullets, you have infinite weapons rather than if you fall down a chasm in between on a scene, instead of falling and dying and starting all over, you get raised up by an angel. They go pick you up and they drop you off on the platform again. So you can't fall off cliffs rather than having three extra lives. And when you run through them, you're dead and you start all over now you have infinite lives, so you can basically die as much as you want as long as you're making progress towards the boss. Things like that, they remove the limits. And what I found is at first, it was more fun. It was a lot of fun because I was finally making some progress and I was like, hey, I can beat this level. But then it hit me. I finally got to the boss and I beat the boss and then I thought, well, of course I beat the boss. There was this deep, sad feeling in my core the, f- the sad feeling playing Mega Man 11, realizing that I didn't really accomplish a damn thing. I didn't. Think about it. Now, when there was a limit, I only had three lives and I had finite bullets. And if I fell down a chasm, I lose a life. And if I lose all three, I start all over again. I have to steward what I've been given. I have to take care of it. I have to, to figure out the right strategy. I can't afford to get hit by this enemy as many times as I want. No, I have to stop myself. I have to wait it out. I have to make and form a strategy to win. 
And then if I do win, there's a success. There's, you know, it's not a participation trophy for showing up on the field. It's a real trophy. Like I did something, I figured something out. And what, what the relationship is interestingly enough is the more limits there are, the more intrigue, interest, and the more feelings of real happiness we get when we complete a task or succeed on a project. Don't believe me? Let's look beyond video games. Have you ever played chess? Look at chess. Now, on the surface, it might be easy to say, you know what? This game would be a lot more fun if every piece was a queen. <laughs> like, have you ever thought that? Because you love your queen in chess because the queen can move anywhere. It can move up and down. It can move uh, vertically, horizontally. It can move diagonally. It can go as many spaces as it wants. And I've thought to myself often, I wish I had a second queen. And then secretly, what if every piece was a queen? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> and look, the answer is no. No, it would not be cool. It would be the most boring, stupid game, and you would lose interest in it like that. The reason why chess has such a fr uh, fr frenetic, frenetic, fr frantic, what am I looking for? I'll call it frantic. The reason chess has such a frantic following of people who are really into chess, and there's clubs, and there's competitions, it's because of the limits. Look what's happened. Artificially, for no reason, like, couldn't you, any, any piece on a chessboard, theoretically, could have any possible set of moves. But for no arbitrary reason, we've decided, someone decided, to place limits on each one of the pieces. Ah, the rook can, cannot move diagonal, can only move up and, and left and right. Oh, the bishop? <laughs> Flip that one around. The bishop can only move diagonal, but can't move up or left or right. Oh, the pawns? One space at a time. They can't move backwards. See, arbitrarily, we set rules and limits along the way on a chessboard. But what it did is now, because of all these limits, there's a very systematic strategic way, and there's actually many strategic ways to put together a plan to win over the other player. And it's because of the limits that make it interesting. Um, another one that, that came out, just a different example, and I'll give credit where it's due. I heard this again from Jordan Peterson. He's a professor uh, up in Canada and he's been lecturing quite a bit, um, a somewhat controversial character, but the reality is if you actually listen to him, he's not controversial at all. He's just sound bites are controversial. So nonetheless, one of the other, um, uh, elements he'll bring up or an example is the haiku poem. And think about a haiku. Right. It's, I mean, on, on one level, and I'm not, I'm not a very artistic person, um, but on one level, like haikus are one of the stupidest things, you know, that as far as art goes, like why it's a poem, right? That has three lines and what is it, like 21 syllables or something like that. I don't even know exactly what it is, um, but you have or less than that. It's something like five. You, you guys are shouting at me, you haiku experts, but it's something like what? five syllables and then the next line is seven or nine syllables and another five or something like that. So, you know, I should probably look that up. So I'll look that up while you guys talk amongst yourselves. Now I'm going to keep talking. So haiku, haiku format. Here we go. Let me make sure I'm right. So haiku is, oh yeah, there you go. Five, seven, five. Okay. So it's 17 syllables. Now let me ask you a question. Who came up with the idea of that's what it has to be. <laughs> well, here's interesting enough, you know, a haiku is a form of poetry. It started as a Japanese poetry with three sentences, always being five syllables the first sentence, seven syllables the next, and five again. 
the essence of haiku is cutting. That's the whole purpose. And what's interesting is it makes it fun in a way. Like at first you go, oh, this is, why would you limit beauty? Why would you limit poetry? But sometimes the beauty is in the limitations. When you're forced to only use so many words, it's a really interesting concept, which words you choose. And it actually forces you to be sharper. It forces the writer to be more ingenious, more uh, innovative, to come up with a different way to say things. And it, it can be really, really enjoyable. There is a website dedicated to haikus all about spam. Yeah, spam. Like, like spam, the, the, the lunch meat, the fake lunch meat. They're, uh, if you just Google like spam haiku, H-A-I-K-U, this is amazing. I'm looking at like sattlers.org, but if, Google spam haiku, and you will see thousands and thousands and thousands of spam haiku. People have written a poem limited to uh, 17 syllables on three lines for spam. It is the stupidest thing in the world, but somehow there's a challenge in it, isn't it? There's a challenge, there's a success, and within the limit comes the ability to, uh, to revolutionize something, to come up with something clever. So the next time, well, let me read a couple to you. Grotesque pinkish mass in a blue can on a shelf, quivering alone. <laughs> like some spongy rock, a granite, my piece of spam, in sunlight on my plate. Are you kidding me right now? How about this? Little slab of meat in a wash of clear jelly. Now I heat the pan. Oh, the last one, I promise. Okay, yeah, yeah, last one. Oh, tin of pink meat. I ponder what you may be. Snout or ear or feet. <laughs> a haiku about spam. But there's a whole community devoted to making up poems about spam and the reason why it's so fun to read and it's humorous and people enjoy doing it and they want to add their own is the limit. See, if you just said, Hey, write me however much you want about spam or let's play a game where there's no rules. Every piece is a queen. Let's play a game of basketball where you can do whatever you want with the basketball. You can throw it anywhere and you always get a goal. Well, that's, you know, that's what we're doing sometimes with, with uh, baseball with young kids and everyone gets the participation trophy. Who cares if you hit it? Who cares if you don't? Who cares if you catch it? Who cares if you don't? Everybody's a winner. Let's go get ice cream. I'm not arguing that it can be nice. No, I am arguing that. Forget that. I am firmly against, I'm going to be real on this, right? That's, that's who I am. I am firmly against participation trophies. It doesn't do a dang thing. No studies have shown that it increases self-esteem. I think it's damaging. And if anything, it actually hurts the long run because kids learn the wrong lesson. Kids begin learning at an early age that you don't have to give your full effort. And if you try your best and you're not as good as someone else, you'll still get the equal reward. That's not true. That's not how the world actually works. I get the feeling of I want it to be true. And I like like, I like the concept of all the kids being happy. I hate the idea of a little kid crying because they lost the baseball game. But there are the chance. Sometimes, you know, we, it doesn't need to be mean, right? You can have good sportsmanship and you can say, you can encourage them and say, look, 
better luck next time. Let's buckle down and practice more. Maybe we can get ahead. That is a far better life lesson than, hey, we all did our best and there are no real winners here. That is just so, so backwards. So why is that important? Why did I go off on that? Because limits create real happiness. When you have a limit in, let's talk about budget and time. My wife and I, Lola, we talked about this just recently. Um, Val has been off school for two weeks. So basically when it comes to family time, we've had zero limits. It's been, I've tried to work as little as possible. We've had the holidays. He's been out of school. We spent a lot of time hanging out together. Sometimes we're reading books together. Sometimes we're watching shows and movies together. Sometimes we go for a hike together. Sometimes we're just chilling and, you know, whatever it is, but we spent a lot of time together. And one of the things that came very apparent is that as much as we all love each other, if we have no limits, if all we do is spend time together, essentially it forces the time to feel less special. And I, I just saw it. And this is a very natural thing that happened over the last couple of weeks. I noticed that I don't think any, any of us three really like deeply enjoyed the time together. If, if that makes sense, like we love each other, but we didn't value the time when there's limits on it. See, if you have limits on your time and vows in school, mom's doing projects, I'm doing work. And then we come home together and it's like, Hey, we have two hours and no one's on the calendar, nothing for the church, nothing for the business. We're home together. Hey, what do you want to do? And then we decide to do something for those two hours, you know, or two and a half hours between finishing everything and bedtime. And now it's like we're stewarding the limited time, but we press into it and we can have more real happiness and enjoyment together in two hours in an evening than we would if we just hung out the whole day together. Does that make sense? Okay. I hope I made a good argument for the power of limits. Um, so I guess what I want you to do from this point forward is don't fight limits. Don't try to get away from limits and hide them. You know, don't like, oh, limits are evil. They're the worst. Like we don't need, you do need limits. Limits make the game of chess worth winning. Limits make the video game fun to play. Limits make the relationship have depth of feeling and emotion and, and specialness, if that's a word. Limits are powerful and they are one of the keys to true happiness. That's it today. Enjoy your Tuesday or whatever day. If you're listening to this, not live on the next day or the day after. Hey, some of you have, have emailed me um, or you can Facebook me or Instagram me. Send me a DM to at Matt Browning. Let me know if you're enjoying the show. Let me know if you hate the show. Let me know what you want to hear about. Like this is your show. So if you want to hear something new, if you'd like a topic covered, let me know. If there's someone you want me to interview, um, send the intro or tell me who they are. And certainly if it's someone to be on, I'll reach out to them. Um, let me know and connect. And then what's coming up next? I guess the next one, we are going to have two more episodes on the mini series. This is episode four. We still have episode five and six. Uh, on Friday, we're going to talk about personal responsibility being everything. So this is the concept of taking personal responsibility for literally everything you can and understanding how that leads to real happiness. It's a little controversial, but it certainly is true. And then our final episode will be about, um, wait, do we already do stability? Stability, uncertainty. You know what? I'm going to come back to that. I got my notes all, all uh, in, uh, in a tough here. So let's make sure I hit what I said I hit. And if I missed one of these things, of course, I'm going to go back and finish with that. But next week or, or later in the week on Friday is personal responsibility. For sure, we're getting to that. And then we'll have our final episode the following Tuesday and get back to interviews as regular. Thanks for listening. 
Get out there this week and crush it. I'll see you Friday.